When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Mike Brown, author, nerd, and host of the Dark Poutine Podcast. Join me and Morgan Knudsen, author, paranormal researcher, and host of the TV shows Paranormal 911 and Haunted Hospitals, as we take you on a journey for the curious about the unseen, the mysterious, and the incredible things happening in the world about us. Welcome to Supernatural Circumstances. In this episode, we tackle the idea of paranormal entertainment and some of the impacts it has had on our beliefs when it comes to things supernatural. Some of the myths perpetuated by these shows and various mediums, all in the name of entertainment, have created massive misunderstandings about and negative biases toward parapsychological study and research. In the second part of the show, Morgan and I talk with Professor Paranormal Lloyd Auerbach, But first, here's Morgan with this episode's topic. Paranormal and Psy has always had a stronghold over popular culture and in our stories. Ghostbusters, Supernatural, Doctor Who, The X-Files, Stranger Things, and even earlier, comics such as Doctor Strange, Scooby-Doo, Casper, and more. These shows have given into reality hits like Ghost Adventures and Most Haunted and other staged reality shows designed for thrills and entertainment. Shows like The X-Files changed up our pop culture world forever as they debuted at the beginning of the internet and internet chat, creating an occult fan base that still exists today. It's 25 years, guys. It was also one of the first paranormal-based shows to win a Golden Globe for Best Drama in its second year, and actually now serves as the structural model for Marvel's current TV series. Character-driven shows, rather than plot-based, people have realized that people will stick to a show if they're invested in the characters, even if the plot tanks. Movies, inspired by games such as Silent Hill, have touched on some very prominent ideas in current parapsychological research, such as the idea of frequencies and planes of existence. In the film Silent Hill, and in the series Stranger Things, the stories explore the idea that there are intelligences beyond what we are capable of seeing within the human spectrum of vision. Only when conditions change and that frequency of vision is expanded do we have access to these other realms of existence. But where does science come down on all of this? Most people don't realize that most of the top institutions in the world examine and currently have parapsychology labs and are heavily in-depth within their research. Oxford, Edinburgh, Northampton, UCLA have all explored these options and subject matter. Saddam Hussein, for instance, was allegedly found with the help of remote viewing techniques by the American military. The television shows that feature ghost hunters running around with shaky cameras have unfortunately cheapened the reality of serious investigators and scientists who genuinely seek to study new phenomenon and help people who are in trouble. 
Many don't realize that when a company like Entity Seeker, my own, gets a call, people are not usually having a good time. They are often on the verge of divorce, losing their homes, and are having severe emotional crisis. While the television shows like to further the idea that some quick ritual will cure the home or business of its problems, that's simply not true. Scientifically, we have far moved past the argument of whether or not this phenomenon exists. The question has become, why is it happening? And how do we understand it? In the film Doctor Strange, Benedict Cumberbatch strongly felt that Dormammu, the villain, was Stephen Strange's ego and insisted on playing both characters. It was wonderful. It was sort of my idea. I went, look, if this is gonna work, rather than being a big ghoulish monster, if it's some kind of reflection of him, if it's something that he's giving, that's coming back at him in a really horrific way, that would be fun. And I'd be really happy to do the voice for it, any facial capture. And they were like, really? Yeah, okay. So I did it and it kind of works because I don't know, maybe it doesn't work. It's not immediately noticeable but a lot of the animation is sort of like a mirror reflection, a rippled mirror reflection of him, of Strange, said Benedict Cumberbatch. Some of the episodes and films have deep roots in Canada and even Alberta. Supernatural's Wendigo and Dan Aykroyd's Canadian-based show Sci-Factor and Ghostbusters are probably the best places to start, and those will allow us to frame up some of these concepts. Let's break down both shows and talk about the reality behind the cases. Ghostbusters is such a staple in our film culture, and mainly thanks to one of its creators, Dan Aykroyd. Any Dan Aykroyd fans out there? I'm sure there are. Dan was born in Canada, in Ottawa, and was the great-grandson of a spiritualist who regularly conducted seances at the family home where Dan Aykroyd grew up and resides today. Dan cut his teeth on stories and personal experiences of the paranormal. He once said, my mother speaks about a time when she was nursing me and an old couple came into the end of the bed. The image faded away. She pulled out an album and saw that it was my great-grandfather and his wife coming to approve the new child. As a child, Aykroyd was regaled by his father of tales of his great-grandfather's seances, including that the family even employed a medium who would channel a variety of people. His father's fascination with the paranormal was so great that in 2009, his father published what has been described as an encyclopedia on the subject, A History of Ghosts. Aykroyd's paranormal experiences are not limited to the old farmhouse, though. While living in his former home in California, which had once belonged to Mama Cass, Aykroyd had a number of experiences, including stating that a ghost certainly haunts my house it once even crawled into bed with me. The ghost also turns on the Stairmaster and moves jewelry across the dresser. I'm sure it's Mama Cass, because you get the feeling it's a big ghost. Noting that he's not particularly strong as a clairvoyant, Aykroyd said that his most frequent paranormal experiences come in the form of vivid dreams of lost friends, and that he often feels that his friend, John Belushi, his energy has come back. Familiar to any fan of the movie, Aykroyd has acknowledged that these experiences and stories were part of his inspiration for Ghostbusters. The idea itself came about from the old comedy Ghost Chasers and having read an article on the relationship between parapsychology and quantum physics in the American Society of Psychical Research. Another show 
a lesser-known show, a Canadian production called Sci Factor, began in 1996 through the year 2000, co-founded and produced by Dan's brother, Peter. It was filmed in Toronto and had an amazing cast, including Colin Fox, Matt Frewer, and Michael Moriarty. Dan Aykroyd wanted to make this show different because one of the executive producers was Christopher Chacon, a parapsychologist, and is one of the few investigators and researchers in the world that continues to deal with cases on a global scale. In addition to having vast expertise in various categories of paranormal phenomenon, Chacon is one of the world's top authorities on supernatural and occult practices, including obscure and ancient rituals. He also worked on the films Paranormal Activity as well. In the early 1980s, Chacon excelled in parapsychology, teaming up with Lloyd Auerbach and together forming a parapsychological research group and spending years investigating hundreds of cases of the supernatural, psychic and paranormal phenomenon. In the early 1990s, Chacon was recruited by a well-funded international scientific think tank with a division that specialized in investigating and analyzing anomalies, every type you could imagine, psychic, paranormal, supernatural phenomenon in every corner of the world. It was this organization's advanced scientific training that additionally equipped Chacon with the one-of-a-kind skills to explore every type of phenomenon imaginable. Chacon was additionally a member of the American Society of Psychical Research, the American Association for the Advancement of Science, the Society for Scientific Exploration, the Federation of American Scientists, the New York Academy of Sciences, and the Center for Science Education. Besides his work in parapsychology and in the psychic paranormal investigation realm, Chacon makes his living as a writer, director, and producer for television, motion pictures, and live stage and theatrical productions. When not working in entertainment or parapsychology, Chacon is involved with several humanitarian and environmental causes and currently resides along California's central coast. Another project that Dan Aykroyd was heavily involved in was the film Intern Academy, which was filmed at one of the most notorious hospitals in Canada, the Charles Camsell, which is just up the road in the west end of Edmonton. The Camsell has been the centre of massive controversy in the last 10 years, being a part of the centre of the reconciliation movement here in Canada. All in all, paranormal research has come a long way. As we've examined, the media can both open and close our minds to much of this phenomenon. Unfortunately, a lack of communication, education and unequal standards and criticism has stalled much of the proper analysis and conversation regarding parapsychology. We have to remember to stay curious, and some of that open-mindedness is the ability to critically think about what we're watching and where it's coming from. We can have a completely fictional film like Doctor Strange that holds more truth than a documentary that claims to be real. There are places and movie sets that hold secrets and incredible phenomenon, and Canadian actors who have helped to shape our notion of parapsychology. We can thank people and actors like Dan Aykroyd for bringing the paranormal into our conscious awareness, giving it a place and voice at our dinner tables, instead of being a taboo subject no one wants to talk about or understand. When I was first exposed to the world of the paranormal, I was lucky enough to watch and study two incredibly insightful investigators, Lloyd Auerbach and Carrie Gaynor, and at the time, the only shows documenting this type of study were sightings and unexplained mysteries. 
The journalistic approach that sightings took with this enticing and engaging subject matter has been all but lost on the current majority of paranormal reporting. This is one of the reasons I am a huge supporter of the television shows who dare to document human experiences rather than creating false ones. My time will always be available to support those willing to risk ridicule to tell their stories and to the producers who step into that crucial role. Where shows like Sightings allowed educated researchers to explain evidence and demonstrate the many hats they wear, which include empowering families, positive psychology, and explaining natural causes, many of the manufactured ghost hunting type shows of today are not interested in an accurate reporting of this very real phenomenon. Often, they misuse equipment, and the teams consist of people who don't have the patience to bring a resume of education to the field that they claim they are trying to advance. When engineers, physicists, medical professionals, and psychologists are needed, these teams are often made up of the blind leading the blind, people whose education often stems from other misinformation on the internet. It's such a strange paradigm, considering that psi research in itself is steeped in mystery and science, but the need to create the events rather than observe or document the real magic seems to have become a far greater priority in the minds of many corporations looking for a return on their dime. This model makes sense when you're developing a show for pure entertainment and thrills, but it takes a different turn when the public begins to believe they are observing an accurate depiction of the reality of psi research or twist the genuine experiences of the people who need a voice. What is striking to me about the situation that we now reside in as investigators is that much of the public fails to understand and realize how the shows developed for entertainment purposes also drive home a dangerous misconception about how horrifying this phenomenon truly is. As a teacher and educator in this field, I often get surprised responses when I tell them that more often than not, this strange phenomenon inspires hope and joy and a reason to go on. Specifically, this is the case in grief and bereavement, where studies have shown that people find great comfort in perceived paranormal experiences occurring around them. Can these unexplained events be terrifying? Absolutely. But it is not the core of where this research truly lies, nor does it represent the majority of human experiences. The other fallout from television programs where ghost hunting groups are sent into allegedly haunted places to investigate is that skeptics begin to believe that this is paranormal research. Many are surprised when I mention universities such as Princeton, Edinburgh, or Northampton actively working in dedicated labs to solve these legitimate mysteries. Nor do they realize the minds at the top of their game in this field are neurobiologists, physicists, psychologists, the president of the American Statistical Association, and even senior lecturers at top institutions such as Coventry University. Throughout my great-great-grandfather's career as both a physician and psychic researcher, he prided himself on the accurate information and documentation in a way that legitimately reported the magnificence of our supernatural world, causing me to question the word supernatural in its entirety, as this phenomenon is more common than not. The problem is this. The world of entertainment is excellent at packaging information and distributing it in a way which captures people's imaginations. Whether or not it's accurate is very much a secondary thought for most of the industry, which again is fine as long as the shows are clear the production is entertainment. 
the parapsychology world is incredible at documenting and releasing studies on the real deal, but terrible at packaging it in a way the average layman can access unless they are willing to read a pile of paperwork. Most, unfortunately, are not. It drives home the importance for the parapsychology community of today to do one thing, find a way to bring the information to the average person in a way that will keep the public's often short attention span. I've made this a large part of my own career with interactive shows and presentations, as well as this podcast with Mike Brown, using fire arts and other forms of sensory stimulation to get my point across has been memorable for audiences in many places. Education is the key to our motion forward, but the forms of education must change and meld. As researchers, it's our responsibility to lift this information to a higher level. Intention is everything. And when we as researchers are given a platform to teach, we must decide how we want to engage the minds of those who are open to this new world. People make the mistake of thinking that unless you have fame and a television show, you don't have a platform. Your degree is a platform. Your ability is a platform. Your study is a platform. Your voice is a platform. How will you use your platform to elevate the quality of the information the universe continues to present to us? This doesn't mean that television does not have a purpose. Television is one of the most accessible forms of information available to the majority of the world. It is a tool. We have the potential to use this incredible media format to present to the world a new relationship formula, and that relationship is with non-physical. It is the most important relationship because it is the relationship with which we cannot see. It is the bond we can develop with the unknown, which currently scares the heck out of most people. Getting okay with what we cannot see and do not understand is the core of the dysfunction in a gigantic amount of our current problems, including the problems with the paranormal. To have an attitude of curiosity rather than fear, imagine it. Imagine the influence we would have in politics, news, family, science, and psi if we approached it from curiosity. I digress slightly but the importance of what we do as researchers cannot be understated. The question I leave with you is simple, yet complicated. We all have the opportunity to use our time alive to its best form of service. How will you choose to use your platform? Next up is our interview with Professor Paranormal Lloyd Auerbach, whom Morgan mentioned in the previous section. Lloyd graduated from Northwestern University in 1978 with a bachelor's degree in cultural anthropology. He then went on to further his study. Lloyd has written for Fate magazine and was the public information and media consultant to the American Society for Psychical Research in 1982 and 83, on the core faculty of the Graduate Parapsychology Program at John F. Kennedy University and the advisory board of the Rhine Research Center. Lloyd has appeared on paranormal-related programs for the Discovery Channel, the Travel Channel, the Learning Channel, A&E, the History Channel, the Sci-Fi Channel, and Tech TV. In addition, he has appeared on hundreds of local and national radio programs and television programs, such as The View, Larry King Live, The Oprah Winfrey Show, Chris Angel Mind Freak, Late Night with David Letterman, 
and popular mechanics for kids. He's also been featured in the book Encyclopedia Horrifica. Lloyd runs his own ghost hunting business called the Office of Paranormal Investigations. He also teaches one online course at Atlantic University. Lloyd performs as a mentalist act under Professor Paranormal, working mainly on the college circuit. He's served on the board of directors and as president of the Psychic Entertainers Association. For more information on Lloyd, check out the links in our show notes. Now on to our interview. This is really exciting for me today because we have such a, an amazing guest who has been doing this for so many years and has been involved in just a myriad of areas within the parapsychology field. And it means a lot to me because, Lloyd, you are one of the first people for me that introduced me 20 years ago to all of this in, in, in my opinion, in, in the right way. And so I'm so glad that you could join us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Morgan. Pleasure to be here. You know, this it, it's so neat because, you know, years ago, it was way back when shows like sightings and, and things like that were, were still on TV. And, you know, this was such a, a fantastic start for me because you and people like Carrie Gaynor have always put forward such great information. And how did this all start for you? Because you were my start in this. Well, um, I have an interest in the subject going back to probably when I was four or five years old. Um, I got interested in all things supernatural, but all things science, actually, also um, as a little kid. For this, the paranormal stuff, it was all because of TV shows and comic books and starting to read science fiction books for the science i actually my dad worked for nbc and was covering the mercury and gemini space shot so i had a real interest in the oh, space wow. program and also in uh geology and astronomy so i, I was kind of interested in all those things so it's it's really kind of an interesting combination but i i can say honestly that the first time i heard the word parapsychology was in the tv show dark shadows in the 60s right yeah, yeah which was, I was a big fan of, um, although that and Star Trek, mm -hmm. you know, Star Trek had enough psychic stuff in it. That sent me to the library to look for books, basically, because I was interested in folklore. So I wanted to see all the stuff that was on Dark Shadows. And of course, in the Dewey Decimal System, the vampire books are right near the psychic and parapsychology books. Of course. <laughs> it's all in the same section because that's what they think of it. Um, but I start, I discovered that there actually were science books. I was probably about 12 years old and I, I discovered the books by J.B. Ryan and J.G. Pratt and a number of other folks. And I started just consuming them uh, just rapidly. And that led me to... Uh, over the next couple of years to finding kind of some of my friends were interested in this. Um, my physics professor, physics teacher in high school was from India originally. He was a Christian from India, but he had had some psychic experiences. So he was interested and it turned out the earth science teacher was interested and we, I was able to start a parapsychology club in my high school. Wow. After getting a nice letter from J.B. Ryan in support that I could present to the principal because he thought he's a, he, he was shaking his head about the whole thing. Um, and I was very fortunate that my one of my neighbors was a yoga teacher, actually the mother of one of my brother's best friends down the street. And one of her clients was Montague Ullman, who ran the Maimonides Dream Study. 
experiments with right. Stanley Krippner. And I got to meet Monty Ullman, lived about a mile and a half from me. I got to meet him in high school. Oh, wow. I got to meet Gertrude Schmeidler in high school. Um, my uncle was, Michael Herb was a radio newscaster for WMCA radio. And on the air on WMCA was Long John Nebel, who was mm -hmm. preceded Art Bell by many, many years. Yeah. And I got, to, and Neville had written about the subject and had a lot of guests. So I got to meet him. And then I ended up on, I and several of my fellow club members, my parapsychology club ended up on his show, which was really a bizarre thing for teenagers. Um, but, but so it, neat. <laughs> it was just all, one thing right after another, let's put it that way through high school. And that kind of pushed me to eventually want to get a graduate degree in, of some kind related to parapsychology. Um, I studied anthropology undergrad at Northwestern after starting as an astrophysics major. The math killed me, I'll be honest. <laughs> oh, I'd but, be in the same boat there. <laughs> but uh, Jalen Hynek was the head of the astronomy part, department and uh, of the U of UFO fame. And I got spent a lot of, spent some time working with him. I actually volunteered at the Center for UFO Studies, but he was really knowledgeable about parapsychology and even had, a th had his own theory, potential theory for some UFO stuff being psychic projection. Um, and then when I switched to anthropology, my professor, the person assigned to me, had the journal Parapsychology on his shelves in his office. So I was clearly directed. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and then I found out about the JFK Parapsychology Program from a, a parapsychologist in Chicago. And I was fortunate timing-wise to get into that program. That's fantastic. You know, it's so it's so neat to hear your story from the time you were in school because for for me it was it was very similar to that like when i met my my eventual business partner stephanie wirtz uh it was the same thing we we formed sort of this in investigative club when we were in school and i mean we didn't we didn't even go to prom we were the nerdiest kids <laughs> we didn't i mean none of that happened for us we were we were so glued into into this this world and this mm -hmm. this field that it was I, I so relate to this and it's that's so neat uh at what point for you did the office of paranormal investigations come about when did you realize that that was the next step well that actually wasn't the next step what happened was um i my my first job out of grad school was at the american society for psychical research um, in the education department i was actually their public media public information and media consultant and at one point, um, things were becoming difficult for us to do, for me to do things that I was asked to do. The board of directors wanted scripts for things that were impossible to create scripts for, and timing was bad. But at the same time, a similar position opened up at JFK University back in California in the parapsychology program for, um, for me. And it was a, 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 through a grant that had come from a local uh, real estate company, somebody who's really a private company that was very interested in parapsychology. So I came back out and started teaching in the graduate program as well. Um, and what one of the things we did as a faculty is we would take calls. We were the pretty much the only game on the West Coast and one of the few organizations, you might say, we were graduate program, but still, uh, we we're the only university that had a graduate master's program where they had an actual parapsychology program. So people could either call the ASPR in New York, they could call the University of Virginia's uh, Division of Perceptual Studies is what it's called now. Possibly they could call the, it's called the Institute for Parapsychology, now the Rhine Center. There weren't a lot of places for people to call if they had ghost situations, ghostly things That's happening. True. <laughs> so they would call us at, at JFK. And if we 
if they were anywhere in the Bay Area, the, the faculty members, the group of us, uh, we would parcel out cases sometimes for our students. Um, that's what I did my very first semester at JFK. I did, I, I took a course on in field investigations and I and a few of the other students did a bunch of, of cases in the Bay Area. So when JFK's program was clearly not going to continue because uh, of a new university president who had a different agenda, although he didn't last very long at the university because he was not only tried to get rid of, not only got rid of our program, but also several others that were making money for the university. Oh, seen where he was trying anyway on those. Uh, we also lost our funding. So oh, because no. Reaganomics killed the commercial real estate market for the guy who was funding us. Oh, God. oh dear. So um, it was very clear that we needed to continue or I needed to continue to, to help people to work with these folks who have problems of a paranormal nature. And with um, someone from the outside who had come to us and I'd gotten to know pretty well, uh, Christopher Chacon, who was a magician, yeah. who he had been working for um, David Copperfield as, as kind of a magician helper. And Chris and I kind of sat down, we hashed out the Office of Paranormal Investigations, which took over as soon as JFK's program was, you know, the, the other the other faculty members kind of split. And I was the only one pretty much left. Um, so that's when OPI came about. That was 1989. That's that's fantastic. And because uh, I Christopher Chacon is, is such a is such an interesting person as well. Um, I remember way back when uh, sightings was still on the air, um, both you and him and and Carrie Gaynor on a number of, of, of episodes. And I, he was a name that I grew up with, which, mm -hmm. you know, which is, is so cool. Now, you are also, I think, such a an important player in in parapsychology today for so many reasons. And one of them is the Forever Family Foundation. Can you right. tell us a little bit about that? How how you got involved with that and a bit about the foundation because it's so important. Sure. Um, well, first, the Forever Family Foundation is a, a total nonprofit, all volunteer organization. Um, and that includes the mediums. Mediums, when they volunteer, they have to volunteer to, be, to stay a certified medium, keep their certification up with us. So it's an organization that has um, occasionally run uh, studies to or research programs to certify evidential mediums. We support the work of mediums in the family grieving process, as well as supporting education and research on life after death and survival of bodily death. Um, the organization was founded by Bob and Fran Ginsburg back in the early 2000s. Uh, after a bit of time, uh, they lost their daughter Bailey in a car accident and grief was their life for quite some time. It turned out a neighbor of theirs had been seeing a medium and somehow Bailey came through the medium to give a message to Bob and Fran. So um, it, can't, it kind of came by way of the neighbor which the neighbor was certainly surprised about. And so was, so was uh, Janet Mayer, the medium. So Bob was very skeptical. Uh, Fran immediately glommed onto this idea. Saw them, they, they sat with Janet a few times and Bob slowly but surely became convinced that Janet was in communication and mediums in general were, could be in communication with someone. But what the thing, even when he was skeptical, he noted the grief relief that was happening. And this was, truly a game changer for them and their 
brief I bet it working was. With, this, with this really, truly ethical medium. Uh, Bob, Bob actually has a book out that came out at the very end of uh, 2019, early 2020, called The Medium Explosion. And it's a great book about working with mediums and telling a phony medium from a real one and how they how this all happened. So I met them at a, at a conference actually put on by the Rhine Center uh, on, on the East Coast uh, in the around, it was around 2005 or six. And then Bob had, Bob and Fran asked me to participate in one of their conferences, which we held out here in California in San Francisco. Francisco in 2008. And I just stayed connected to them. I became a member of their advisor board. And eventually, um, when the previous president um, left, uh, left the program, left them, uh, Claude Swan, um, Swanson, excuse me, uh, they asked me if I wanted to put my name in the hat for president. And I didn't know what I was getting into. I said, sure. So, uh, you know, I had done a couple of their conferences. Um, I got to know Bob and Fran really well. I got to know several of the mediums well, and I felt that it was a really worthwhile organization. And certainly, um, I love the people that were in the organization. Um, and I've been reelected president every two years, even not unanimously, because I always vote against myself. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. You know, we've, we've talked to a, a number of a number of of members that have been on on the board and and whatnot and it's it's just it's something mike and i have just so appreciated and, and supported because it, it is so important and i think the education side of of this with parapsychology and and bridging that gap to the mm -hmm. to the public has become so important um did you did you see because I, I know you're also a member of the, the psychic entertainers association mm -hmm. did you did you see that as a, an education path for the public? How how did you view that when you were when you were getting involved with that? With psychic entertainers? Yeah. Okay. So for that, I, when I was in grad school, when we had we had a, pro, a class at JFK's prior psychology program called Creation of Illusion, and it was taught when I was a student. It was taught by a local magician, and the whole idea, uh, John Palmer, who was our program director wanted to make sure that that as future researchers and investigators we had an idea about psychic fraud we had some concept of that and some things we should look out for definitely so i was um i was i always loved magic i just never did the did the magic as a kid it was not something i actually did but i was bartending my way through grad school at the time and i started doing some magic tricks at the bar and realized um hey this is a lot of fun and started performing magic um, so I joined a joined a chapter of the Society of American Magicians. I was really active with one when I went back to New York for the ASPR, and even taught a workshop on mentalism to um, to other New York area parapsychologists. And was highly encouraged. I was pushed, in fact, by several people in the field. Chuck Onerton, Mercello um, Truzzi were pushing me to not just be a knowledgeable person about magic because we had a bunch of those within the organization within the Parapsychological Association they pushed me to actually being a performer. And that gave me a real edge compared to other researchers who knew something about magic. Yeah. But I was performing as a comedy magician because I was having a uh, performing mostly in comedy clubs in the 80s. Right. And Marcello, Tru Marcello Truzzi kept on saying, you really need to switch to mentalism. You really need to do this. So um, he and one other other individual actually in the field also said the same thing. So I, I you know, in parapsychology, so I, I did switch to mentalism, comedy mentalism still, but still mentalism. And uh, eventually 
when I had enough background in that subject, in that area, specific area of magic, then I was able to, I felt ready to join the Psychic Entertainers Association, uh, which is an international organization of mentalists, uh, psychic entertainers, readers, um, and hypnotists, stage hypnotists, and, and what are called bizarre magicians, bizarrists. That's, so that's so it's cool. Lot, it's a lot of fun. I've, I've been president of I was president of that for five years. So, <laughs> that's fantastic. You know, it's 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 neat how the arts really do have a crossover in into yeah. this. And uh, I found that myself when when I first started learning fire eating and, and fire breathing and things like that. I, I hadn't associated those things with with anything to do with with the paranormal. But mm -hmm. as I as I developed it and I worked with it. I found that there were so many, so many lessons that applied to parapsychology and and whatnot just by doing and and going through the 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 steps and the the practice because it really is a, a practice of, mm -hmm. of of all of that. So it's it's interesting to me how the how the arts crossed over. Like we were talking about, uh, and you were mentioning, you know, how television and and the comic books and all of that were were such an influence. And it's to me, it's just I think the arts are, are so intertwined with with this. What do you think? Well, let, let's face it. The majority of people who call themselves ghost hunters these days are doing it because they saw some TV shows. For sure. Yeah. Not because they found a book on parapsychology and started doing doing things. Um, pop culture. I've actually taught a course for the Rhine Center and uh, also other places on pop culture on the paranormal. And it, it's very clear. This has been, I mean, this goes back to the, even before the 19th century, that people's experiences kind of feed into literature at first. You know, science fiction is sometimes based on science, sometimes pure fantasy, but a lot of the ideas come from real life or what people believe or can imagine. And the belief, uh, the one connection in psychic ability that we have seen again and again that correlates directly to being psychic is belief. So the whole piece of popular culture, it shapes how people perceive things as paranormal. It also, if we take it from an anthropological perspective, and you look around the world at various rituals and practices and mindsets or um, expectations or even the labels they put on what's going on it's it that is the human thing to do we perceive things in certain ways whether it's psychic or or otherwise we put labels on things we put them in boxes we carry them out that way and it affects our belief and our beliefs affect the popular culture yeah absolutely do you think do you think as well that that those stories and that belief it affects people's perception of it as well because we had a we've we've been talking a lot about folklore on on the show over the, mm -hmm. the last number of episodes and and we had a a, a wonderful guest professor Lynn McNeil from uh, the U University of Utah on and we were talking about stories and and how these experiences sometimes get explained through stories rather than mm -hmm. the stories you know creating the experiences and I, and I think people get a little bit messed up with that that they think automatically you know if somebody creates somebody's created a story and therefore somebody's been gullible enough to believe the story when that doesn't right, seem to be the right. case at all well you could say the same thing about when somebody tells you they're angry is that a story or are they really angry mm -hmm. are they really in love or are they you know are they feeling something or is this just simply a lip service it's all a story. Everything's a story. It's Everything. all subjective. 
Yeah, uh, and we, we do know that the beliefs, because whether the story, the belief, or let me back up here for a second. People have experienced psychic phenomena, regardless whether it's ESP or ghosts or psychokinesis or anything else for thousands of years. I mean, probably since we're human beings, probably even before that. And so when you experience something of any kind, I mean, like we can just take lightning, for example, for primitive uh, cultures, they had no clue as to what lightning was. So their perception of this force striking the earth and lighting up the sky was that it must be some supernatural entity or gods doing mm -hmm. it. So when you have somebody who has an experience of a vision or makes an object move, you know, that person has powers or that person's a shaman, that person becomes special uh, or it fits into a particular magical belief system. So, and if you see an apparition, it depends on what the religion or culture interprets that, you know, the belief in ghosts around the world and historically and anthropologically, there are various interpretations when someone sees an apparition or that, that person, that figure that, that of their father, who was a perfectly nice person, is possibly an evil thing. Right. So, or is that, is that really their father? Is it their memory playing a trick on them? People mm -hmm. have different perceptions and interpretations. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I've, I've seen this, the same thing myself over the years. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really, it, it's really interesting to me, the psychology behind how people perceive their environment. That's one of the things that about this field that I, I love to get into. I just find I, I find people so interesting, like how so, how so much of this really does come back to to humanity and people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's really, well, really interesting to me. Well, well, I mean, it's all it's all about people. We would have no nothing to investigate, nothing to study if it wasn't people to start with to begin with. So, uh, you know, I I really have a problem with someone saying I want to go investigate this spooky old abandoned building. It's like, well, how do you know it's haunted? Yeah. I mean, do you have a person, anybody, has anybody ever said this, there's been a ghost or anything going on there? That doesn't make any sense to me any more than someone who is in law enforcement saying, I'm going to investigate the crime that might have occurred in this alleyway 30 years ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there's a crime, but I'll see if there might have been. And of course, they're not going to find it. So, <laughs> Mike, you can speak to that with all your no, true crime stuff. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I'm sure you've, I'm sure you've hit hit a number of people like that over the years yeah yeah there's it's it's amazing what belief uh or people will just take it and run with it it's oh yeah kind of crazy yeah. one of my call my late colleagues tony cornell over in the uk um told a story about um he he was an investigator for well over 50 years for the spr over in the uk and they he and his team back i think it was in the 60s went to a haunt supposedly haunted pub and he, you know, they talked to all the witnesses. Uh, there was a story that had gone back for apparently for quite some time, and they could not find any historical rec historical record that would support the story. The experiences really weren't good experiences. It was mostly local folklore. So uh, Tony talks about having sat down with some of the witnesses at the pub and his his uh, team, and they were they were drinking ales, um, probably quite a bit of ale, from what he told me, <laughs> and, and they they made up a new ghost story that sounded much, much more reasonable and possibly real. And you know that to this day, that's the ghost story everybody tells. Wow. Yeah, there you go. It, it's, it says so much. And, it, and you know, I think with 
with the the inception of the the the, the ghost hunter programming that has mm. been on over the last even I'd say ten years or so, it just seems to have exploded. Um, you know what I've I've really noticed, especially if I'm talking to 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 skeptics or people that are just uneducated on parapsychology in general, they've really come to believe that that is parapsychology. And right. it's, uh, have you found that too? Cause that drives me absolutely crazy. <laughs> well, I, I do. But what's really interesting is that none of those shows use the word parapsychology. No, they sure don't. <laughs> In fact, Ghost Hunters, when they were, according to Barry Taff, when they were putting that show together, and I actually had one other catalog that was contacted by Pilgrim Productions. When they're putting that show together, they talked to Barry and this other person. And I think it was Barry who turned them off to a parapsychologist in general. Um, but it then they said they weren't going to work with any researchers because they, they decided, I don't know, was it a network or the production people decided to focus on the regular people, the regular guys, the plumbers. Right. Um, instead. And they, they just didn't have experts on the show at all. It's because uh, it, it's because scientists are no fun. They <laughs> they'll talk hey, about <laughs> I, I do comedy mentalism. I'm a lot of fun. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, sometimes I'm a little too much fun when I'm shooting some of these shows. So, yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, I can't, I, there were several times in the eighties, especially when I ran into directors who, uh, wanted, who would complain because I didn't have any special equipment that would, that would light up yeah. for, cam for right. camera. Right. So I used to carry, I used to carry a toy tricorder from Star Trek <laughs> The Next Generation with me. And I would pull, when that happened, I would pull it out with a very serious face, pull it out and turn it on. It, it's got, you know, it makes the noise and everything. And the camera guy and the sound guy always knew what that was. <laughs> and right. we, would look at, we would look at each other and they're smiling and the director never knew. Oh, <laughs> so, no. so that was, uh, that was always fun for me to do. Oh gosh, um, I can so relate to that too, because I, I can't even tell you the amount of shows that I've, I've turned down because of, of that attitude oh, yeah, yeah, like it yeah, just yeah. handfuls handfuls well i mean we have the, we have the current uh folklore that you only investigate in the dark and that is absolute yes. folklore created, created by television production <laughs> yeah. yeah that's what it is i mean the most you can tie it to in the field is that that mediums in the late uh late 19th or 20th century wanted to work in the dark the mm -hmm. physical mediums that's it and no other mediums work in the dark. Mental mediums, you know, we see John Ever on TV. There's plenty of light in that. I don't know why in the world you would think that that it has to be dark, except for folklore. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, they're they're the way I always compare it is, you know, if you if you knew something or somebody was going to show up mid afternoon, why would you yeah. wait for them at the middle of the night? You know, if you had, right, especially right. if you have reports of something that's going on at noon. Why? <laughs> exactly. Well, and what I when I say that I say things like that to to some of these folks. They said, "Well, it's quiet at night." It said, "Yeah, but <laughs> you're expecting somebody to show up who shows up at two in the afternoon. So why in the world would they would you expect them to show up at midnight because it's quiet for you? Maybe they like it noisy." Come on, that night vision with the glowy eyes is really good well, for camera. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's exactly what it is. When I was uh, doing TV in the eighties. Um, the producers, directors would always want to do something after dark and they'd always want to turn the lights down low. Although we did, I did, I did do a number of programs at like 11 in, in the morning and whenever things seemed to be quiet at the restaurant, if it was a restaurant or whenever we could get in, which was often during the day, uh, we had no problem with, with phenomena in a lot of those cases, but they would always want to turn the lights down. And I, I had been on a couple of um, shoots where the director field director basically said we should be great if we could turn the lights out completely and the camera guy would go 
yeah, then they can't see anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's television. It's a visual medium. <laughs> You're right. But but as soon as Nightshot Camera came in, everything changed. Oh yeah, I, I think I think that was that was the the, the, the producers at that point struck gold. Yeah. Because yes, <laughs> absolutely. Point. Let's make it spooky. Everybody's eyes look like they're silver. <sighs> yeah, it's so funny to you know when when you get into this this work and this field, and I mean I don't even I don't watch the shows at all. Like I just <laughs> I just piece together. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, little bits and pieces of of you know what people have have told me and and whatnot. And every once in a while, I I turn one on and usually regret it. <laughs> first 10 minutes you know but i i think it, i i it hurts that that a lot of people and the, and the public have, have begun to believe that 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 is that is it's the real the real deal that this is yeah. this is parapsychology what what do you think parapsychologists now can do to bridge that gap because tv is a it is a really great medium to get information out to people what do you think we can we can do <laughs> Well, uh, I mean, um, there's a couple of my colleagues who do a lot, quite a bit on YouTube. Yeah. And um, they, especially Jeffrey Mishlove, mm -hmm. who has New Thinking Aloud. Uh, the question is, you know, why aren't some of these people watching that, those shows or those pieces? And it's, that's because they're not flashy and they're not following the model that they see right. for why they, they started doing their ghost hunting to begin with. So it doesn't attract ghost hunters per se. Um, there was a show a few years ago called Ghosts Inside My Child, which was about re uh, children who remember previous lives. Mm -hmm. And I, I talked to the um, producer creator of that show before the show aired, well, well before it aired. And she had been talking to, in fact, Jim, Jim Tucker of the University of Virginia was one of their main consultants. Good show. Show was really, really a good show. But Discovery Channel, I think, or maybe it was A&E, decided you know, when she, she, the woman who actually was producer creator, her son was one of these kids oh, who wow. remembered a previous life. Yeah, wow. So she had a vested interest in, produce, in presenting this properly. And then the, the network comes down and says, we want you to call it Ghosts Inside My Child. And she said, it has nothing to do with ghosts. And their response was, yeah, but that's what the paranormal people want to see. Yeah. So she, when I, when I heard that, I said, well, obviously the show's not going to last very long because if they're trying to attract the ghost people, they're going to find out it's not ghosts and they won't watch it. And if they're trying to attract the people who believe in reincarnation, which is a lot more people than believe in ghosts, yeah. they're never going to go see that show. They're never right. going to watch yep. that show. And that's exactly, I think it lasts a six episode. That's really sad. You know, I grew up in the TV industry. My, my father and my, my father's older brother was uh, actually a soap opera director. So I, it, it just, I used to have conversations with both of them about this. And while neither one of them did reality shows, uh, although my, my dad did do sports, so that's sort of a reality show in itself. Um, it, it just is really frustrating uh, when the people making decisions at the top really ha are out of touch with the subject matter and the, and the actual audience. And very often the people making the shows are out of touch with the subject matter and are only mimicking what other shows are doing. Yeah, that's what I found as well. It's almost like there's a, uh, it's it's become like a, a assembly line where they're just you know copying yeah. the same formula over and over and over again, just trying to churn it out. And what yeah. I find interesting too is that, and I've had this said to me by I don't know countless producers now, they'll say, you know, well, can you just say this because this is what the audience right. wants? And I'm like, right. no, I cannot because the, you know I think there's a do no harm clause somewhere. In, yeah, you know, I, I got 
I got cut out of an unsolved mystery segment in the eighties because I refused to say that there was a demon in the house Yeah. when, and, and I kept on telling the director, first of all, the people don't think there was secondly, it's not a ghost. It was a poltergeist case with physical activity. Right. And it was caused by one of the people in the home. And there, was, there were multiple things that had gone on. Anna, I was on record on in some newspaper accounts about this case, same case, um, about this being a poltergeist case. So anything I say now that he wanted me to say, I said, that's going to completely, he said, well, you can say you change your mind. It's like, yeah, except there's not. Yeah. It's not a demon. There's nothing, there's nothing evil even happened here. The people themselves didn't think they were annoyed, but they weren't upset by it. They weren't scared, scared of it. So it, it's just that director actually ended up getting fired later on apparently but because <laughs> he was trying to do that to other people as well oh, no. uh yeah so it, it's i think the people watching these shows a lot of times the american public in general well public in general just not just the american public doesn't understand how a reality show is actually working oh that's so true and it's you know they're very the real housewife shows they not that they stage things but they things happen and then they ask them to do it again but yep. bigger Mm-hmm. Um, and you know as well as I do that the number of times we had to walk in a room a certain way, like 15. Now, can you come slower? Can you say that faster? Can you say that? It's like, <laughs> yeah. And I love watching the um the the shows where they've discovered something underground, whether it's a cave or something else, and the person coming into the cave is saying, I'm the very first person coming into this cave. And there's a camera, <laughs> camera guy sitting yes. there like <laughs> facing <laughs> Oh, yeah. And, and I think that's the thing, you know, is that people, they, they don't, they don't realize just the, the level of, uh, like we were saying before, of storytelling that, that goes, goes into these things. And, yeah. you know, I've, I've said to, to my producers, I'm sure on some of these shows that they're ready to kill me every, every season, I kind of, I, I kind of wait for them to go, well, we're going in a different direction. <laughs> I won't, I won't cave to that. I'm just like, look, you asked me for my opinion. Here's my opinion. This is what, this is what I, I, I can tell you what in, you know, the short amount of time that I've had access to this case, what I think might be going on. But mm -hmm. I, you know, I can't, I'm not going to elaborate beyond that. Cause I, I think too, you know, the people in these, in, these individuals in a, in a lot of these shows, when they're dealing with human experience, they're coming into these shows trusting producers and experts and, and things like that with their story. Mm -hmm. And their yes, story yes. is emotional. It's impactful. You know, it oftentimes it's, it's changed their life, you know, and it's like, it, I don't know, to me, it's, it's, you, you, we've got to hold this very, very carefully. You got to kind of have to hold their story like water. You know, you've, yeah. as soon as you start squeezing on it, you, you lose the people and, uh, there's yeah you know do you know what i mean i do uh in fact when i was when carrie and i were carrie garner and i were doing sightings we were involved even before the series started um and we worked with sightings even after the, the initial producers we worked with, heavily with a guy named rob kirk who's a great producer director uh really interested in the subject we worked with a few other really great people over time those folks went to other shows partly because of the network tampering with things and at one point um Kerry called me to let me know that this that he found out that one of the cases that they had taken him to, the producer had promised that the show would pay for Kerry to fly back out and follow up with them because they were traumatized, you know, pretty much traumatized with the whole situation that was going on. And they never, you know, when Kerry asked them about that, so we're not going to do that. And I wow. then was pr prompted to ask about follow up and think, no, 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 we're not doing any of that. You know, they're on their own. And so I stopped doing the show. 
I can't blame you. So to carry. Um, and then there are those shows where the network, you know, somebody, a production company comes and says, we need to develop something that's different than these other shows. Mm-hmm. The network wants something different. They want to try something new. And I've worked with some really good production people, put together some really good packages, um, pitches. And uh, a couple of them were just, we would have had a big audience in a couple of cases. Uh, and just for a number of reasons, including some of the people that were involved. And the network then came back to the production company and said, oh, no, we're going to go with these other guys over there because they're doing something just like Ghost Hunters. And we know that that works. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so, yeah, it's a complete it's a it's a complete tunnel vision. I found mm-hmm. because like you, I've, I've, I've done that as well, where I've, I've tried to pitch into the, the paranormal yeah. field, which is about dime size when it comes to their, their vision on, on what it needs to look like. And, you know, I, I was actually having a, a conversation with some producers in Toronto a, a couple of weeks back and they, yeah, it was, it was kind of the same thing where I said, look, I, you know, one of the things I think that people would really enjoy seeing are cases that have been inspirational to people Mm -hmm. because there's Mm -hmm. so many of them. Like there's so Mm -hmm. much more of that. I said, you guys would have content for years if you went in the other direction. And, you know, because God knows the, 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 the joy and the hope and all of that, that these, these events usually bring to people. And they, yeah, they straight out said, you know what, that sounds awesome, but we don't know about the networks. The networks yeah. have their thing, and that's what they want, and this is how it is. So it's like, you're right. Yeah, it's it, it's 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 why we see so much on the news. Uh, you know, on the negative side is you know people people want to know what might affect their lives in a negative way. Right. Uh, it's great if we hear something positive, but it's rare that the news actually does human interest stories. Mm-hmm. There are some, but it's pretty rare, and uh, it's really what it is is. You, if you have a crowd of people and someone breaks something, like a drops of glass, everyone's going to look at that. But if somebody starts laughing, unless they're laughing in a really unusual way, nobody's going to turn around. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's such a conundrum with with yeah. the way it is right now. Yeah, so I I just always point to people to shows like Ghosts <laughs> on CBS and <laughs> yeah, and the BBC version of that as well, and uh, you know just because. Fortunately, I think scripted shows, you know, have have done very often the only good job of portraying this stuff yeah. in a lighthearted manner. Um, and that's where we should be. We should be there, there with that. Uh, yeah, I, I think so, too. I always found it really interesting that some of the like you were saying, some of the scripted shows or the films or whatnot mm-hmm. seem to have it more on the money than or, or at least are pulling concepts that are 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 grounded and, and and whatnot within within parapsychology and and working it into a show that's that's palatable palatable for for people that's the one yeah. thing i've been trying to do with with even some of the the comic-con shows that i've been doing over the years is is bringing it to a a, a venue and a format that's fun for people that people can sit down and absorb it in a you know short amount of time but is you know it's it's in an engaging way and it's it's fun and i think the paranormal is it's supposed to be enjoyable it's supposed to be fun there are more well first of all there are more mundane psychic and ghostly experiences than there are 
really extraordinary ones. <laughs> so, you know, people, people have minimal things happen that don't necessarily impact their lives very much, but may have individual meanings, such as seeing their late uncle or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then, and then there, you know, even the, the real uh, dramatic situations tend to be when you look into them, they tend not to be harmful, ex- except that people's fear, which is of course supported by these TV shows, causes them to have that reaction. Yeah. So, it's not just these shows actually presenting bad information or presenting things in a way that's really not accurate or the way we should be doing it, but they're actually causing people to, to look in that direction when they have their own experience and they're impacted in a negative way by that. So they're hurting people. Yeah, what a, great, what a great way to put that. That's my concern too. That's why uh, when Morgan approached me with this show, I really had to have a feel for what we were doing because mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a party to that kind of thing. I want to really look at, at this stuff in a way uh, that um, is positive and can have a positive impact on people's lives and not just scare the crap out of them. Right, right. Yeah, it, it's really important, I think, um, that we consider the average person and consider their experiences and give them tools. You know, we'd like to make the paranormal, my field would like to make the paranormal normal. Mm-hmm. Because as far as I'm concerned, and I'm not just, if we take all the people who have said that they have some kind of ghostly encounter over, over the years, and we're talking, you know, somebody saw someone at just as at the time they died or after they died, there's any number of range of these kinds of things or felt there was a communication from after death. If you then include all the psychic experiences that various types of people have, by the numbers, given the number of people have had these, these are not paranormal experiences. They may be rare in your life, but mm-hmm. they're common to human experience. They're normal. They're unexplained by science so far, but they're normal. <laughs> In my personal experience, it's about paying attention. I Mm -hmm. I agree they're 100% normal. If you're paying attention, they're happening more often than... uh, Well, that's true. Yeah. 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 And that's actually the first... I've taught a psychic development course for the Rhine Center. And that's based on advice that I had gotten from some psychics we work with, especially one at the ASPR back in the early 80s. Um, when I asked, it was Alex Tannis was his name. I said, Alex, how do I, how do, how does somebody become more psychic? He says, notice that you already are. Right. Oh, I love thing, that. First thing he said. <laughs> oh, I love that. You know, it's, it's funny too, that, that you guys are bringing that up because that's one thing that I've even found over the last, I would say couple of years. It has, I I've noticed that stuff has been coming up for me that I've mm-hmm. just been dismissing as, a you know, a, a daydream or a thought or, or something like that. And, and when I, I was asked recently in, inter- in an interview, you know, are, you know, do you consider yourself, you know, intuitive or, you know, whatever. And normally I would have said, you know, I think everybody is, but I'm not exceptional one way or the other. And I've begun mm. to realize, I'm like, wait a minute, that's really not true. And I've, so I've been, I've been trying to hone that a little bit more and focus a little bit more on, well, wait a minute, what is this experience that's coming in and just becoming more present with, with the experiences that are happening. And there is more than what I even thought. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's often quite a bit for us. Well, yeah. It's, it's just really amazing when you start looking at it now, and you can also go the other way. You can also start picking up on things that truly are coincidental Oh, definitely. <laughs> just labeling that way. You know, but uh, I think that's even better because by doing that, you're affecting your belief system and the odds are your psychic ability is even going to get better, even if those are, not, if they're not all psychic. 
it's a win-win really yeah that's <laughs> right that's right well lloyd thank you so much for doing this and, and for being here because this has been such a, a fantastic conversation and tell everybody where they can find you what you're up to give them the the lowdown okay okay well first you can find my books on amazon.com uh, including the very first in a mystery, a paranormal mystery series called uh, Near Death. Uh, our two characters are a parapsychologist and a cop who had a near-death experience. And that's Near Death is uh, was our first novel. Our second one is going to be called Afterlife. It should be out. I, I'm hoping April. If not, it'll be out in May. We're just kind of going through the man through the final version for that. Uh, but I have a number of obviously have a number of books on parapsychology that. I write for the general public, so I don't write for people in my field. I write for the public uh, on that. And I teach courses at the Rhine Education Center. Uh, that's part of the Rhine Research Center, R-H-I-N-E, as in J.B. Rhine. <clears throat> that's the legacy of uh, the Duke Parapsychology Lab, which got started back in the 1930s. It's the longest running laboratory uh, in the United States. And I'm currently teaching a paranormal case studies course focusing on a, on a number of cases, but most a number of my own and kind of giving people a deeper dive into what I've ever published or what they've seen on TV. So that's a piece. And then I'll be teaching a course starting February 22nd called Presenting the Paranormal to the Public for those people who are actually talking to uh, people, uh, how to not sound crazy. Yeah, love that. <laughs> that's part of it. Um, how how to sound credible, how to use the right terminology, how to actually take some of the language and turn it into something people can understand. Um, I'll be talking about how to assess uh, portrayals on TV, but also how to do public speaking yourself. I've taught public speaking for many years, and it's going to be really how to take what you know, learn a little bit more, and actually become someone who seems credible and can present credibly. And then how to be good in an interview. And finally, how to put that all out there. Maybe you want to write a book and get published, things like that. So we're covering a lot of practical skills. But the Ryan Center has a lot of other courses as well. So that's rhineedu.org. So R-H-I-N-E-E-D-U.org. Or just simply go to rhine.org and click on the education link. Um, see what the Ryan Center is all about. You can actually join the Ryan Center. The Forever Family Foundation, which I'm president of, is uh, you can join that for free. That is foreverfamilyfoundation.org. And if you're interested in a good mediumship reading, we have a, our directory of certified mediums on that particular site as well. Can't go wrong with any of those folks. Um, I'm on Twitter, at Prof Paranormal, as in Professor Paranormal. And every other Sunday, I do a Facebook Live session on both my author page and the live paranormal page. Uh, and that is the next one's going to be um, a week from Sunday. This coming Sunday, so I can't even think of. I think it's the twentieth. Yes, the twentieth of uh, February is the next one. Yeah, and I to the everybody that's listening, I can't say enough about these programs. And if you want to really legitimately start a, a dive into this information everything that Lloyd has just mentioned is exactly the places that you need to go. I get a lot of questions via email and, and whatnot of asking, you know, where can I go? Where can I learn? These are the places like the, these are the places, not these two bit little courses here and there. These are these are the best, in my opinion, in, in, in the world that you can that you can tap into for sure. Lloyd, thank you so much for, for doing you, this. This is wonderful. And we hope we can drag you back in at some point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure I'm sure you can. <laughs>
<laughs> I had fun, so you can. Oh, yeah. good. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Here's Morgan for this episode's segment of Spiritual Healthcare. In this episode's edition of Spiritual Healthcare, the segment of the show where you get to be the creator and designer of your paranormal and spiritual experience, we're going to tell you about a process called inactive thinking. Throughout our lives, we run into negative thought. It's not something we can avoid. It is part of the contrast that determines what we do want and what is important. The problem arises when we give unnecessary, persistent attention to those negative thoughts. We end up in a cycle, a spiral of negative emotion with no off-ramp by repeating these thoughts and memories relentlessly in our minds. When we begin to become aware and pay attention to how we feel, it begins to be easier to identify these thoughts as they come in. We suggest that as these thoughts come in, imagine a box with a slot in it, like a mailbox. Imagine writing the negative thought on a card or a piece of paper, and as you're looking at the card, say to yourself something like, I am choosing to make this thought inactive today, and slip it in the box. Now remember, this is a decision, and one that you can make throughout the day. Once the card is in the box, remember that thought is rendered inactive, and it is now your job to let it go. Remember, you can activate them again when you choose to do so, but the decision you're choosing for that moment is to inactivate that negative thought. Do this as many times as you need to throughout the day, and soon the process will become easier and easier as you catch the thoughts that are not helpful to you coming in the door. You need nothing to be happy, but you need something to be sad. Remember, at the end of seeking, all is consciousness. Stay in peace, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Supernatural Circumstances, a co-production of Entity Seeker Paranormal Research and Teachings and Good Egg Studios. This podcast is part of the Curious Cast podcast network. Theme music by Corey Johnson of Catalyst Records in Edmonton, Alberta. You can find out more about Morgan Knudsen at EntitySeeker.ca and more about me and listen to my other show, at darkpatine.com. Feel free to email the show at supernaturalcircumstances at gmail.com. Good night for now. <laughs>